Welcome, everyone, to Redeemer Radical Reflections from Reading Rightly, also known as the Five R's. Uh, just a few guys from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas, who reflect on the Word of God after reading it rightly, of course. Uh, and this week we are doing chapters 24 and 25 of Isaiah. Uh, so I'm George Cagle, and I'm joined by Scotty Jinks. Amen. And and also backed by popular demand, Dale Googer. I'd be surprised if anybody demanded for me to be back, but that was kind of you to say. <laughs> well, I demanded it, so that's how it worked. Um, Glad to be here. Awesome. So uh, let us begin. Let's jump right in. Uh, we're, we're scaling it back a little bit this week. We're only going to do two chapters instead of three. Um but there's a lot of stuff here, so uh, I'm sure we'll fill up the 45 minutes uh, with good stuff here. So, uh, first off, uh, Scotty, why don't you begin? Uh, give us your initial thoughts on chapters 24 and 25, maybe a quick summary and everything. Sure. Well, you know, I'm not good at quick summaries, but I will tell you <laughs> uh, the judgments we've been hearing before are going to be expanded uh, to the whole earth. Um, and then expanded even past the earth. Um, um, essentially, the, the Lord is going to give woe to uh, entire concepts um, and uh, things that we take as as part of life, part of the way that life works. Um, so it's really more of an expansion of what we've already been reading. Uh, only now he's not talking to uh, a different specific people. He's talking to people in general and then more to uh parts of reality you know uh things uh that he's gonna and all of this uh sort of in in defense of uh his glory and his people very good dale well yeah i think it would be a in this instance it would probably be a a bit of an overreach to try and do more than these two chapters because these two chapters really are um they mirror off of each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got chapter 20. I mean, you've got chapter 24 that sets up really just, it's one of those um, chapters with only a hint of uh, the tiniest hint of grace and, and redemption towards the end of it. But then it goes into chapter 25, which is 100% grace and redemption. Both 24 and 25 aren't, they're making more global pronouncements and they're not only making more global pronouncements, they're making prophetic announcements in that they are things that will certainly happen, but haven't happened yet. Um, and you could, you could push it a little bit, but haven't yet had a clear analog. So there's lots of those, George, you mentioned it before. There's the prophecies that both have, have both a near term and a long term fulfillment. Um, mm-hmm. and the way the Lord works, there's something that happens in the immediate future and then there's also how we read it in the ultimate reckoning of all things. Um, these seem um, to be only long term in that they're not they're not talking about an event that's already happened in addition to an event that's happening in the future. They're talking specifically about future events, future to us even. Right. I think it's and I think it's important. Right. The yeah, they're they're connected. Right. You're not going to have God's kingdom on Earth, God's presence among his people forever until you have what occurs in chapter 24, 
right? The judgment on the earth and the destruction of uh, the enemies of God, right? That doesn't have that has to happen first before you have right verse twenty three of chapter twenty four, and then chapter twenty five kind of uh, responds from that, right? Like the first, even the first five verses of chapter twenty five are a song, uh, a song of praise in response to what Isaiah just saw in, in chapter 24, even. Um, but yeah, that's, I think that's a, a pretty good summary. Let's get into the details now. So uh, first off, let's start in chapter 24, verse one, which I think is kind of an intro, right? For the next few chapters, right? Cause it's not just 24 and 25, but really 24 through 27, our chapters on the judgment and redemption of, of the whole world. But right. Verse one, behold, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate. He will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. So, right. This is kind of the introduction, right? This is, and I think it's important as we see, this is all going to be the Lord's doing. He is going to be the one accomplishing all of this. And even as uh, Scotty pointed out, right, it's not just the people of the earth, right? It says here, you know, God will twist its surface. So creation itself will suffer, you know, be restored or be destroyed, you know, eventually renewed and everything. But, um, right, this is God's judgment on the earth in its entirety, Yeah, I agree. And George, what you're saying, too, is it hits you right off the start is that we have to have in our theology room for the Lord um, to to do things to the earth that to inhabitants on the earth seem negative. I know that sounds kind of funny, but just the just the fact that the Lord is stripping the earth bare and making it desolate. Um, if our only picture of God is one of, you know, benign goodness then we don't have a full picture of God just Mm -hmm. because he's very active in this judgment. Sure. And so in a a sense, like the world has always been suffering uh, because of human sin, uh, at least as far as we've been around for it. Um, So there's, there's never been a point where uh, the land we live in is not, you know, poisoned by, by our mere presence. Um, but, you know, he's here. Essentially, the way we've been reading it is that prosperity has been moving around. And so his um, pronouncements to the different nations has been, hey, it is not going to be your turn. It might be your turn again later. Uh, but right now, these guys are going to succeed against you. Uh, these guys are going to succeed against you. And here he says uh, that basically uh, prosperity, that the Lord's favor is going to be nowhere. It's going to be gone. Um and that is the, the truly terrifying uh, setup for the chapter. Right. And then with verse two, basically it says, right, everyone's going to get treated equally. Right. Nobody. You have the slave. You have the master. You have the maid, the mistress, the buyer, the seller. Everybody is going to come under God's justice. Right. Nobody's going to be spared. And then in verse three, says the lord has spoken this word meaning this is certain to happen there is no right whenever god says 
I'm going to do this or this is going to get done, it happens uh, with absolute certainty. Mm-hmm. So maybe one thing we should learn from uh, verse two here is uh, these these distinctions we make between uh, people and priest, slave master, uh, lender and borrower. Uh, these in times of pressure and times of judgment, uh, these different distinctions we make um, of who's who's better, who's worse, um, they fall away. And so it could be for us right now to learn those distinctions uh, aren't really there in the first place. They're, they're things that we sort of create or at least mm. agree to, so the things that we subscribe to. Um, and it could be uh, one encouragement we find here is that uh, we don't need to have those distinctions in the first place. You know, the, the fact that someone has uh, money or prestige um, shouldn't make us uh, think better of them than anyone else, because we know that one global catastrophe from now, uh, that won't be the case anymore. Um, I don't know if you guys ever saw the show. Uh, the Earth loses electricity. And so, you know, it's post-apocalyptic. You know, the, the whole of society has to restructure because there's no uh, power. And uh, one of the guys, one of the main characters, uh, he's unfit for the new world. And when he's explaining, you know, to someone what his job was, uh, he says, you know, they're used to this thing called the Internet. And I used to work for a company called Google. Mm-hmm. And so the the ironic twist is, is trying to explain to a generation who doesn't understand that he was on top of the world. Um, and for us to measure success in those ways as something so fleeting, because we know how. No, I can't say I've seen that show, Scotty. I don't see any of the shows that you watch. <laughs> I have seen the Mad Max movies. Um, like if that counts. Oh yeah, well, same difference. <laughs> yeah, gasoline, electricity, internet, whatever. So in you know verses four, you know, or starting with verse four, right? It it talks again about how the the earth is mourning and withers and uh in verse five it says the earth lies defiled under its inhabitants and um i can't remember which one of y'all now but one of y'all mentioned this right just i think it was scotty but all creation is suffering right under the curse of man's sin Mm -hmm. and it reminds me of uh paul in romans 8 19 uh, right where he says, like for for the creation waits with eager longing uh, for the revealing of the sons of God, and and then you know from there, uh, you know, talks about the groaning of of creation and uh, just its anxiousness to uh, be finally renewed. Um, but right, verse five says, you know, gives the reason why this is all happening. Uh, for they, people, humanity, have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. Uh, this is why God is punishing the earth and its inhabitants. And and again, and this actually reminds me again of Paul again in Romans chapter two, 
just, you know, of how corrupted man is because they've rejected the creator so that they could worship the creation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it also speaks to the fact that like um, sin isn't ever uh, merely personal, right? That sin is always corporate uh, because you can't control who's affected by your, by your sin, you know? So let's take Genesis three, for example, and a man is cursed so that his work is going to be hard. And one of the examples of that is like weeds growing in a garden, right? Well, it's not just uh, it's not just the man, the gardener, who's suffering because his work is hard now. He has to pull them. Uh, the plants that are being having their nutrients stolen, having their um, they're negatively impacted by the fact that uh, the man's work is now hard. And so here we're seeing that it's not just uh, the earthlings defiling. Um, when they transgress the laws and violate the statutes, um, what they're doing, uh, the people around them, the planet beneath them, you know, we're, uh, and I think we're talking more about environmental concerns, although Francis Schaeffer would definitely say, like, Christians need to take care of the planet in a very literal way. Uh, mm-hmm. But we also have just the idea that you can't control who's going to be negatively negatively affected by your sin. Uh, you're always going to be, if you're committing a sin, you're always going to be wearing these blinders that make it seem like it's just you. It's just you and God. Mm-hmm. Time, okay. No one else is going to ever know. Um, and I know there are, there are times when like selfishness, for instance, right? If you want to indulge yourself, if you want to do something selfish, uh, you know, is sinful. And you say, you know what, I'm just going to do it this, this one time. Uh, what you're actually doing is, is training yourself how to act next time. And so this, this one little act of uh, self-servingness is actually going to you know, impact the way that you treat people. Uh, the next conversation you have can't be altruistic when you go into it preparing by serving yourself at someone else's expense. Yeah. I think it's um, the way the curse extends even. This actually was a conversation with my older daughter, I think, just yesterday. Because our family's going through a bout of minor illness right now. Just either bad cold or, or um, you know, light flu or something like that. Not coronavirus, mm-hmm. fairly sure. But, but just, you know, I've got four young kids. And so the four young kids kind of just pass germs on from one to the other. I'm so far the only one that's remained unscathed. But the other day, Donette asked me, she goes, she says, Papa, did God make germs? And it gets right to the heart of what we're talking about here, which is um, God certainly didn't prevent the creation of germs. But but there was a time before nature was red in tooth and claw, um, you know, and before we were all the result of a painful childbirth where, no, I, we weren't supposed to get sick sickness even minor sickness even inconvenient sickness is a result of a sin um that then permeated throughout the whole world once the trust was broken you know and the veil had to go up uh that's when that's when all of that happened and so now even these things that we might call inconveniences or just facts of life are actually not meant to be facts of life um by the fact that they are annoyances that they are actually not meant to exist but it's it's the shared curse under which we all live right when from there, right, 
kind of verses, I want to look at verses seven through nine. The wine mourns, the vine languishes, all the merry hearted sigh, right? The mirth of the tambourines is still, the noise of the jubilant has ceased. And it's, again, as y'all talked about, you know, uh, tonight and, and, and we've talked about in previous chapters, one of the things, you know, or how does God judge? Uh, he removes blessings in this case, right? All earthly pleasure is removed. There's no more joy or celebration. There's no more music or dancing or, uh, or wine. You know, the, the, the things that God blessed us with that we've taken and, and corrupted. Uh, all that stuff's going to be gone when God judges, judges the world. Well, I think it's it's no um, when he t- tells a story here, he's talking about basically the people are uh, or a, like a party, almost like an empty party that no one's at is mourning. Right. It's it's sad that nobody's there. Nobody's having a good time. Um, it, and then, you know, verse nine and ten kind of continue. Uh, but he's using this this theme. And we know Isaiah um, has already called out drunkenness now. There was, a, there was a point in an earlier chapter, uh, which I should have notated, um, where he lists, uh, he lists four, you know, uh, grievances that uh, Israel has, you know, committed. And on that list, he, he put drunkenness twice. So it's no secret that Isaiah, you know, is judging the people around him uh, or the culture around him as uh, pretty reliant on, uh, on liquor, on some sort of hard drink. And so here he's saying, you know, even that's going to fail because what do we do when things are hard? When our, when our idol has failed us, uh, oftentimes we double down, right? We try to, uh, say, oh, well, I'm not happy then here. Why don't I just, uh, why don't I just really commit to this thing that was supposed to make me happy? And here, you know, he's essentially pointing out that what's going to happen, uh, under the Lord's judgment is that you're going to, you're going to try, um, to get your joy, you're going to try even harder and it's not going to be there, but you're still going to go through the motions. You know, we, we talked earlier uh, in an earlier chapter about how when you're devoted to an idol and that idol fails, a lot of times your reaction is to keep doing the same thing, keep doing what you uh, believed was going to give you that desired effect, uh, even when it's going nowhere. Good. So uh, verse 10 then talks about the wasted city, right? The wasted city is broken down. Yeah, so more alcohol. <laughs> yeah. Very nice. Wasted Got city. It. Yep. Got it. Good band name. <laughs> the wasted city. There you go. Yep. Uh, so I wanted to hear, because, you know, the next like 10 through 13 kind of talks about this uh, city. Uh, I wanted to hear y'all's. Uh, what y'all got uh, when you read this and, and uh, compared to, you know, the commentary and everything that I read, uh, what is this city that is wasted and, and broken down? Um, well, it's not to the best I can tell and the best I, that people seem to think it's not referring to a particular city um, as in there's not some kind of greater city in mind. But it is trying to show 
um, whether we want to call this almost in a way all cities or um, or even just representative, you know, representative of, of the world itself. Um, you're talking about uh, a place that's so dark that people are looking for alcohol just to just to, you know, numb the pain and can't find it. Um, and that there's only desolation there. And you say, for this is how it will be on earth among the nations, like a harvested olive tree, like a gleaning after a grape harvest, almost like the dust bowl. You can you can picture if you want a more recent historical example of just a place wherein there's no more resource. There's no more what you need to live. It exists just because um, it's, it's it's existing on the legs of the fact that it used to be something. But other than that, it's not it's not producing anymore. Um and so it's it's its own existence is almost is just a judgment. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the the commentaries I've read and, and and stuff I've looked into this city is is basically kind of like you think of it as the city of men, right? Just the you know in some cases people will or or in the Bible you know you'll see references to Babylon, but it's not actually the city of Babylon. It's whatever kingdom, you know, is in power, right? The nations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so same thing here. This is the city of men. This is the nations. These are the kingdom. This is the kingdom of men. And yeah, as, as you pointed out, right, there's an outcry in the streets for lack of wine. All joy has grown dark. It's, Right. This city is desolated and undone. Um, in fact, the the Hebrew word for where it says in verse 10, the city is broken down. Uh, the Hebrew word, I don't, I don't have it here, but it's the same word that's used to describe the earth in Genesis 1, 2, when it's completely unformed. Tobu. It's it's completely undone. There's nothing there anymore. There's no form. It's all void. Uh, so, you know, the destruction is of of the kingdom of man is going to be complete and total beyond how we could even comprehend it. But then with verse 13, right, it says, right, the gleaning. Right. When an olive tree is beaten as at the gleaning, when the grape harvest is done, um, this is kind of a reference right beginning right here to uh, the elect. Right. The redeemed, the people who were uh, predestined by God to be saved and among his people. Right. And um, and then they verses 14 through 16. Right. Basically talk now about this remnant at least mm-hmm. for a little bit right and this of course is not the first time we've seen uh, a remnant mentioned in isaiah but uh, over and over again this is one of the ideas he's tried to uh he's tried to get through to us as the readers and just say listen when things look bleak they are never entirely bleak those things can be 99 percent awful uh but even when he's using the opposite of creation imagery you know, even when he's saying uh, things will be like they were before God uh, created, before God spoke. Um, and yet even then there's uh, a remnant. There's these people uh, who have not, you know, taken a knee to bail. 
there's there's a kind of I'm and I'm thinking of this off the cuff right now. So uh, don't hold me too don't hold my words too much against me if they if they don't make <laughs> a lot of sense. But um, there's you see this happen a lot. I mean, you see it in Isaiah. You see it in you see it with the story of Noah. Uh, you see it with the story of Abraham and Lot um, and Sodom and Gomorrah, um, where the Lord um, basically, you know, uh, torches the the world or the city or the plan as it currently exists to then make the plan move forward with a separate subgroup of the faithful. Um, and you see God quick to try to show mercy. I can't remember where I saw this on Twitter this past week, but even in the story of Abraham and Lot, when they were talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and they're just saying, you know, God, what if I could find 50 righteous people? Will you spare the city? And God says, sure, what if you can find them? And they say, what, oh, well, I can't find 50. What if I can find 10? And God's like, sure, if you can find 10, I'll spare the city. Um, and lo, lo and behold, they can't find any. God was actually willing to make that bargain. If you if you bring me the faithful, I will spare the faithful. Um but it's it's almost the way God seems to know it works the best is if if we continue to move and I know George you're trying to you're probably trying to keep this wagon train rolling so I'll try and speak quickly. Um, if we continue to persist in sin without knowing that it's sin and under the under the delusion that we are um, operating fine, which we can delude ourselves into thinking we can we can be in sin and we can move on forward thinking that we're okay as long as we see material blessing. Um, the Lord, I think the, almost one of the only ways that he can shake us out of that stupor is to blow the whole thing up and say, and I've got to start again, um, with faithful, with the faithful. And then that way you can see as an example, remember that time I had to blow it all up. Remember that time we had to start from scratch again? Um, because you didn't know, cause you continued persisting in your, in your sins. Um, but then it's only through that what you see here they raise their voices they sing out they proclaim in the west the majesty of the lord therefore in the east honor the lord in the coasts and islands of the west honor the lord the god of israel uh, from the ends of the earth we hear songs the splendor of the righteous one that's only in response to all of this judgment that's happening previously um it's the judgment that actually makes way for the righteousness and the repentance right those in christ are going to experience a uh, we will experience a different judgment day uh, from those who are not and yeah like how it, it, it refers right from uh, they shout from the west and in the east they give glory to the Lord and then they talk about the coastlands of the sea that's also in the west right if you're living in Israel um, so it's just this at this point right in verse 15 it's it's so it's it's kind of inferring that it's it's going to be a universal praise of God. Um, you know, right. Verse 16 from the ends of the earth, we hear songs of praise of glory to the righteous one. But, you know, we know that it's not all humans, you know, it's not, God is not for all people. He is not, uh, this is not all people of the earth. This is all people of the earth who are left, right? These are the ones that, uh, yes, it's there. There are people of every tribe and nation and tongue who are going to worship the Lord. Uh, so in that sense, it's, it's universal, but it's only after, right, the judgment that eliminates um, 
the enemies of God, the people who rebelled and remained in rebellion against him. Yeah. Which got which then and and Isaiah comes back to it in verse 16, right? He goes, he's like, look, the the people worshiping the Lord, the remnant, the the people of God, it's wonderful. But then he goes, but I waste away. I waste away. Woe is me. Because he is still focused on the destruction that's going to happen before this. Mm-hmm. And, and I've already mentioned Paul and Romans a couple times already. But again, Isaiah right here reminds me of Paul uh, in Romans. Uh, in this case, it's chapter 9, uh, verses 2 and 3. Where he says, um, Paul says that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. I said, just like Paul, Isaiah is just in torment over the fate of his fellow countrymen who have rejected the Lord. Right. And, and rejected uh, the Messiah. And, you know, Scotty, I, we've talked about this in the last few uh, podcasts. It's, you know, so much of Isaiah should be taken as motivation to declare the gospel to our, our friends and family and, and our fellow countrymen. Right. I think also it's just, it's the, that's the right posture. You know, I feel like, um, our knowledge of the Lord bringing about deliverance and also bringing about judgment shouldn't make us haughty in our posture towards those who are perishing. We should, we should lament, um, like what you see Isaiah doing. So, you know, whenever, whenever a Christian sort of speaks, you know, mockishly of people who don't know they're perishing, um, it's, it's probably a heart sign mm-hmm. that something's not quite right because it's a lamentable offense uh, for people to not know why they're, you know, why judgment's knocking on their door. So verses 17 through 20. What are y'all's uh, reflections on this? Uh, section this passage which sure. right comes back again to the judgment of of the earth we know uh verse 20 uh speaks again uh i hadn't i hadn't planned on this because i hadn't seen it before um but he says that the earth staggers like a drunken man uh and to be honest you know it sounds like he's really hitting uh, hitting the alcohol references uh pretty hard uh, he says here, you know, you guys have drank so much that the whole, you know, the whole world is tipsy. Um, it is not a good situation because uh, he doesn't say uh, what he says is it's transgressions lie heavy upon it and it falls and will not rise again. Um, so he's using a word picture to explain further what it's like to be uh, to be drunk, to be the, the you know, um, proverbial drunkard. And that that's the situation the earth is now in. 
right? And it's, it's staggering. And it's like, why? Well, in verse 20, it's transgressions lies heavy upon it. So the earth is staggering just under the burden of carrying its sin. It is just overwhelming it. Um, and then before that, right, verse 17 and 18, or verse 18, right, he, he falls into the pit. Well, if he climbs out of the pit, he'll be caught in the snare. You know, there's it's there's no escaping. You can try to escape God's wrath. It's but it's it's unavoidable, and it's just like just like the Noah flood, uh, right? In verse eighteen, for the windows of heaven are opened, and the foundations of the earth tremble. This is a reference to Noah and the flood that destroyed uh, the earth. Mm-hmm back then and again right there was no escape for anybody uh you know of course except for Noah and his family by the grace of god now in verse 21 right god moves beyond just the earth Right, he starts talking about the host of heaven. Uh, on that day, the Lord will punish the hosts of heaven and the kings of the earth on the earth. Uh, so it sounds like we're talking about two different tiers here, right? The mm-hmm. um, he's talking about uh, the spiritual powers, uh, the uh, principalities, uh, fallen angel kind of situation, mm-hmm. uh, powers in uh, heaven and the kings of the earth. Uh, now, um, although we could probably talk about some sort of connection between those two. Uh, because uh, Isaiah sure has. Uh, we also have another, a whole other chapter to talk about. Um, so all I <laughs> want to make sure we talk about is just the fact that um, when uh, Isaiah is talking about sin and its effects, um, he doesn't um, he doesn't stop. You know that he keeps going further and further outward. Um, and there's there's a sense in which uh, chapter twenty five is even further zooming out just to try to see the effects of human sin and how far they reach, how far the Lord's uh, punishment reaches uh, in effect, uh, or I'm sorry, in response to those sins. Yeah. I think there's a lot. Um, so, I mean, things like this, the Lord will punish the army of heights of the heights and the heights, or um, I can't forget. Are you guys reading out of ESV? Um, Typically. Yeah, that's the only real version. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um but uh, but even still, so you know, punish the high, you know, punish on high the host of exalted ones and all the kings of the earth. Um, that yes, one I, we haven't seen the judgment. We have seen limited judgment of people on earth. That's true, um, and of kings on earth. That can happen in the short term. We have not seen the full judgment of um, what you might call the, you know, the powers of the air of Satan, of angels, of demons. Um, so that is, that is a thing to still happen. I also wanted to say, uh, one thing we probably would be remiss not to mention so much of this chapter actually lines up. There's a lot of, there's a lot of revelation parallel, uh, throughout a lot of this chapter and including the phrase, those who dwell on the earth, that is, uh, like in chapter 17, panic or chapter 17, verse 17, panic pit and trap await you who dwell on the earth. That phrase particularly dwell on the earth shows up in revelation, um, goodness a lot of the time and and is a is a phrase that makes sense when you're no longer just talking about a city or a nation because those who dwell on the earth is 
an unnecessary uh, subset to make when when your ca only category is Earth. But those who dwell on the Earth becomes a necessary subset subset to make whenever you're talking about what is going on in heaven at the same time as what's going on the Earth. And so that this is a big thing that's happening. Yeah. Um, there's judgment going on across the whole of creation and not just visible creation, but also what we would call invisible creation. I think it's important to also look in verse 22 where it says they'll be gathered together as prisoners in a pit. So the kings of the earth, the leaders of the earth who are really, mm. as we've seen in Isaiah and in other books of the Bible, right? They're the puppets basically of, of Satan and his demons. They're the puppet masters. They will all together be shut up in the same prison. And I, and notice it says after, and after many days they will be punished. So, which reminds me of when Jesus, you know, when, when the demons, you know, every once in a while, a demon will see Jesus, you know, in the gospels and go, you know, have, have you come to torture us before the time? Mm -hmm. I didn't know it was time yet, you know? Uh, so it's like these, the demons, at least they know that there is going to become, there will be a time when final punishment is going to be, handed out on them. Um, but then in verse 23, right, it, it seems to change again. We go from all this judgment to, well, yeah, this judgment happened so that we can now have the new heavens and the new earth, right? You mentioned, uh, Dale, the, the Revelation, right? I, I think Revelation 21, you know, verse 23 of, of Isaiah 24 is, is kind of a summary, really, of Revelation 21, right? The moon's going to be confounded. The sun is going to be ashamed uh, because it's, he will be, God will be the light, right? That uh, will reign over, um, over us, right? There, you're going to have this new Jerusalem, uh, the, the new heavens and the new earth, his glory, will be before his elders, right? The church, we will finally behold uh, his glory in the new creation forever. Mm -hmm. Amen. And in verse 25, or excuse me, chapter 25, right, is kind of Isaiah's response to this previous birth. And it turns into a, a song of praise. So I'd like to get y'all's... Uh, uh, commentary at least on yeah on the first few verses of chapter 25 well yeah i think this is this is kind of becomes the catharsis for what all of 24 was um all of 24 until the end you know one not only in um mood but also intense it starts off with praise directly from isaiah lord you are my god i will exalt you i will praise your name for you have accomplished wonders plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness for you have turned the city into a pile of rocks, a fortified city into ruins. The fortress of barbarians is no longer a city. It will never be rebuilt. Um, therefore, and I'll stop at verse three. Therefore, a strong people will honor you and the cities of violent nations will fear you. Um, one thing I, I've thought about in reading both of these is that um, the Lord's judgments, judgment and the Lord's deliverance are two sides of the same coin. Um, the Lord can't deliver the faithful without judging the unfaithful, which I, I know sounds, it almost sounds mean. Um, but the fact is what's going on here is um, 
the Lord's turning a city into a pile of rocks is why Isaiah says, I will exalt you and I will praise your name for you've accomplished wonders. Um, it's not the only reason. He says these are plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. But it's, you know, because you've turned a city into a pile of rocks and the fortress of barbarians is no longer a city that will never be rebuilt. I'm exalting you. I'm praising your name because of what you've done. Um, because the peace that's going to, that we'll talk about a little bit later, um, you know, and the feasting and the joy is, is something that has only, the way has only been made by, um, by the Lord's deliverance of his people to that point. Right. And again, verse two and, and three or verse two uh, mentions the city, right? The same city from uh, chapter 24. This the this city of men, the world order, and all the sin and oppression that that came with it. And then verse four, right? You've been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, and that just makes me think of the beatitudes with Jesus. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, if you are humble and look to God. He will be a stronghold and a shelter for you um, during times of trouble and during this judgment that will come upon the earth. And it's so, you know, you don't, I guess in, 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 a, in the world today and in the kingdom of men, this sound, this idea sounds so foreign. It's not the rich and powerful who will be saved, right? Those people are out. It's the humble who are going to be saved. Mm -hmm. uh, so verse, I'm sorry, verse one, uh, I think it's important to note the like personal nature uh, mm, of yeah. the, of the song, you know, that he says, uh, Oh Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and I will praise your name. Uh, so he's, you know, I have a tendency to want to hide among the people of God. And if God is, you know, generically loving, you know, he loves all the children, the little children. Um, and uh, but uh, here, you know, the specific charge is that um, uh, you are my God. I will exalt you. Uh, and that's and that's a big difference from, you know, a strong people, you know. Uh, will glorify you. Uh, you know, that that comes later because first I will exalt you and I will praise your name. And that's and, and that's an easy thing to skip uh, because it's an easy thing to um, to not desire that uh, personal um, mm -hmm. worship and instead rely completely on the corporate. Um, but thankfully... Uh, chapter 25 doesn't give us uh, doesn't give us the right to do that. Yeah. And you know this thing and and the fact that Isaiah is making this per personal affirmation of his confidence in God you know, just really makes this stand out when you think of uh, his sadness from the previous chapter mm. at what God is doing to you know on God's judgment on Israel his fellow countrymen who have rejected God and 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 the world uh, in general. But again, he's, this is right. Uh, uh, a vote of confidence. Mm 
in in the Lord and what he's doing. <clears throat> so we've got one more kind of section of chapter 25, and that's verses 6 through 12. So I think I think one of the key things we look at here, obviously this is right, the promise of the new heavens and the new earth. And I think it's important to see in verse six, the first thing that the Lord, the phrase, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast. So you have the Lord of hosts will make. So this is again, this is all 100% his doing. It was all 100% his judgment on the rebellious. And it's all 100% his doing his grace in saving uh, the elect, right? The redeemed. And again, it's for all peoples. So this is a multi-ethnic group, right? This is the healing of the nations um, at the end of time. And that the same Lord who prepares a judgment can prepare a feast. I think it's just important to, to know him. Sure. So six and seven, you know, are really uh, bringing back that he's going to do, uh, he's going to um, uh, make for all peoples a feast of rich food. Uh, and then verse seven, this covering that's cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. And so, you know, we see again the, the inclusivity of God, of his, his grace, uh, that nobody is kept outside. Uh, but then chapter, I'm sorry, verse 8, um, his focus kind of moves. And so now it, he's done uh, condemning people. He's done condemning uh, demons. And at this point, he's now switched to death itself, right? He says, uh, he will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. Um, and the reproach of his people, he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. And what we're looking at is, you know, tears themselves, like the idea of crying. And he says, yeah, I'm taking that away, too. When I said that the land is going to be desolate, I mean, um, and when you look far enough into the future, what he's saying is going to be devoid of death and crying, sadness. It's going to be gone. Um, and so it's almost like the idea of something being gone. And now he's turned it around to a positive. That the things he's taken away are bad things. Uh, and so uh, praise the Lord uh, that he, he will swallow up death forever. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this, is, this mirrors, and we've talked about Revelation already. This mirrors Revelation 21. Um, uh, verse four, which is literally, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. So this is a, a far flung prophecy um, of what the Lord is going to do. I do want to uh, talk about verse eight. So first off, right, there is the the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, right? So removing the sorrow and pain, but uh, I believe it was a Tim Keller sermon I listened to once and he talked about this 
And it's kind of like, or maybe he was talking about the Revelation passage. I don't know. But, you know, he could have said, you know, the author could have written, you know, the Lord will remove all sorrow and pain, you know, or he'll, he'll take away sadness. But he doesn't say that, right? It says the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces because there is an intimacy there, right? Who wipes away the tears from somebody's face? Uh, generally, it's a mother with their child. And that's the imagery that Isaiah or, or the Lord through Isaiah is trying to hammer home with us. We are, there's going to be intimacy there, like between a mother and uh, her children, between God and us. In, and, and that's something that we have to look forward to. And of course, the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth just, again, this offer of forgiveness. That's what's going to happen. That's how we are going to be able to come to him is because he will have forgiven us. And again, this is all his salvation. He gets all the credit. And, uh, you know, if you notice in, in this passage, it's all him. Everything that's on here or that's written here is something that God does. Mm -hmm. And then verse 10 through 12 comes back to, right, the, uh, the people of who, who rejected the Lord, right? It says Moab here, but I think y'all agree with me, right? Moab kind of it, it is actually just representing the proud and, and, and godless nations that were mentioned in earlier in these two chapters. Mm -hmm. Also, also the Hebrew word for Moab and the Hebrew word for dung pile sound the same. So it's probably a play on words. Oh, even better. So like yeah. when a straw is trampled down in a dunghill. Nice. Yeah. And I like how in verse 11, it says, and he will spread out his hands in the midst of it, the dung. All right, mm -hmm. as a swimmer spreads his hands out to swim. So it's like as if Moab or, or the people uh, who are the enemies of God are trying to stay afloat. They're going to try and save themselves like somebody who's drowning in dung and trying to swim out of it. Uh, but of course, that's not going to be uh, successful uh, at all. It's a nice mental picture, though. <laughs> right. It's yeah. a good way to end tonight, too. Yeah. <laughs> Not one so, sports analogy, though. Um, I'm yeah. a little disappointed in you, George. Well, swimming. I swimming. Yeah. Well, I wanted, <laughs> I wanted one from your own wheelhouse, but, you know, it's okay. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> sorry. I'll, I'll see if I can think of one in the next few minutes mm -hmm. while y'all do applications. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I wonder yeah. if the Hebrew word for Moab is similar to the Hebrew word for natatorium, right? Uh, <laughs> but probably not. Um, so as far as applications, um, I want to say that the first application that, that really stuck out to me, you know, the, the those distinctions that uh, the Lord's judgment are breaking down between uh, the rich and the poor, the, 
better off and the haves and the have nots, uh, you might say, um, you know, it, it, our, our first thing should be to look at that and say, well, uh, let's not live that way. Let's not live as if those distinctions happen now, just because the world isn't falling apart around us. Uh, although you could say the world in many ways is still falling apart around us. Um, but I think, it, you know, that's gotta be the first, uh, mention here. Uh, Dale, do you have one? Well, so yeah, one, I think I've thought a little bit about Luke chapter six. I think George, you mentioned the Beatitudes earlier. Um, I like Luke's Beatitudes just because they get paired with woes. Um, cause that's just how I roll. But you like that. You like symmetry. Yeah, that's it. Well, I mean, these, it's a very symmetrical two chapters that we talked about. So I think, I think it's fitting. I'll read it really quickly. Um, then looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor because the kingdom of God is yours. Blessed are you who are hungry now because you will be filled. Um, blessed are you who weep now because you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Take note, your reward is great in heaven, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the prophets. And then, but woe to you who are rich, for you will, for you have received your comfort. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing, for you will mourn and weep. And woe to you when all people speak well of you, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the false prophets. Um, why do I think of that right now? I think um, because what the Lord's, uh, deliverance looks like and what the Lord's judgment looks like depends on what side you're standing on. And I don't think we take away from that, that Christians are to be, um, uh, humorless and, um, and stone faced and only sad. But I think what it is to say is that to follow Christ means deliverance from something. Um, and if our lives aren't marked by something, by seeking a kind of deliverance, then, then we have to understand whether or not we're following Christ. And, um, so that when his judgment comes, we're on the side of cheering for it to come. And we're on the side of cheering for it to come because we're, we're looking for his mercy to deliver us. I couldn't come with any, with any sports analogies. I'm sorry. Was, it's okay. Yeah. I mean, there's always next week. You guys do this a lot. That's, yeah. <laughs> um, but my uh, application uh, above the others is well, two things. I have two applications. First off, you know, if you're listening to this podcast and again, you're not sure uh, how Judgment Day will go for you, you know, if it's going to be one of terror or if it's going to be one of rejoicing, then I uh, want to encourage you to flee to Christ, right? The whole purpose of chapter 24 is also as a warning because God is still gracious. Um, he wants you to be saved. He wants you to, uh, ask him to save him or to ask him to save you, you know, uh, ask, uh, your, you know, place your faith in Christ as your way to heaven uh, his, uh, his death and resurrection. Secondly, you know, for those of us who are saved, I think it's important to remember that the end point of history is a party, right? A great and wonderful party that is beyond anything we could even possibly imagine. 
And it's, you know, and the question is, how are you going to live now in, in light of that? Right. You're on your way to a celebration. How do you, you know, if, if you're on your way to a big old party, you know, how do you usually act? Well, I'm all excited. I'm going to start getting dressed. I'm going to start getting ready, you know, uh, to go. I'm going to be in festive spirits. I would, you know, uh, if, if it's an open party for anybody, I'd be inviting people to join, you know? So I think it's important for us as Christians to live a life that is joyful, knowing where we're going to end up in the end and look forward to that day, pray for it to come quickly, but then also um, invite people to come to the party with us. Right. Share the gospel with uh, with others. Absolutely. I mean, we talked again in this chapter about the Lord's heart for uh, um, others, um, the Lord's openness to all peoples. Uh, so obviously, you know, we we want to uh, feel that same way. Um, but uh, another application I, I saw uh, was verse you know, 21, uh, where he, ta- he is condemning the hosts of heaven. Uh, and just pointing out that, you know, you mentioned the, the invisible kingdom or the invisible world and uh, encouraging Christians to uh, remember that there there is more than what you can see. Um, and therefore, there's always uh, more going on, more that the Lord is doing for you um, and more that the Lord can be doing for you. Uh, and just an, an encouragement to uh, try to see things the way that the Lord uh, would and not forget because everything around us is trying to get us to focus on what we can see. Hmm. All right. Awesome. That will conclude it for this evening. Thank you for joining us, Dale. Hey, my pleasure, guys. Glad to be here. And next week we will look at uh, chapters 26 and 27. Again, uh, further chapters on the judgment and redemption of the world and of creation. Uh, but until then, uh, I'm George Cagle, joined also by Scotty Jinx and, and, and Dale uh, for Redeemer Radical Reflections from Reading Rightly. Or you can just call us the five R's. Good night, everybody.